Please be seated. I invite you to open your Bibles to Mark's Gospel, chapter 11. As you're turning there, just to let you know a couple of things that uh, we'll be doing uh, in in the weeks ahead. Uh, Next week, we will be resuming and beginning the end of our series in Hebrews. Um, I had delusions last August that we would finish it uh, in before Christmas time. Uh, didn't quite work out that way, uh, but that's all right. There was no uh, no rule that said we had to finish it then. So we'll be looking at Hebrews chapter 13 beginning next week. So next week, the week after, on uh, the the third week of January or fourth week, whatever it is, we'll be uh, observing, uh, or at least recognizing Sanctity of Life Sunday. And then we'll finish up Hebrews uh, the last Sunday in January. Uh, we will be picking up in February and through Easter, uh, we'll be looking at the book of Jonah. Now, we'll be looking at different themes that go through there. We'll be, so we'll be looking at it somewhat in depth, uh, because often when you hear of Jonah, it's a one week, two week, or a four week series. We're looking at probably ten weeks, uh, uh into Jonah. Uh, but I think that you will be blessed. It's a blessing to be preparing for it and to be thinking through, uh, just how much is so powerfully packed into that very short uh, uh, book. But this morning, to kickstart us into the new year, I wanted to look at this passage uh, as we consider what Jesus would have for us as his church. And so we're going to be looking at Mark chapter uh, 11. Uh, The primary verse will be verse 17, but for the sake of context, I'll begin my reading in verse 15, reading through verse 18. Hear the word of the Lord. And they came to Jerusalem, and he entered the temple and began to drive out those who sold and those who bought in the temple. And he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. And he would not allow anyone to carry anything through the temple. And he was teaching them and saying to them, Is it not written, My house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations? But you have made it a den of robbers. And the chief priests and the scribes heard it and were seeking a way to destroy him, for they feared him, because all the crowd was astonished at his teaching. The word of our God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we come this day, we pray that you would bless us through the reading, through the hearing, and the contemplation of this, your word. We pray now that according to your promise that your word would not come and prove empty, as in no power. We pray that it would not merely add to our our knowledge, but your word would shape. That it would not only inform, but it would form the way we think and therefore the way that we live our lives in this world and with you. Lord, renew us by this word, we pray. The glory of your name, the good of the world, and the joy of your people who are one in Christ. Amen. They'd seen it before. Only a couple of years earlier, an angry young man cleared the temple courts. At that time, he was an unknown, but now he's essentially a rock star. His teaching 
His miracles had brought him fame and, and followers. And at the same time, the audacious claim to deity, the audacious claim that he was one with God, that he is God, that he who has seen the Father, has seen him, has seen the Father, that if one wants to know what God is like to, to look at him, that audacity caused controversy and brought contempt. And now he enters the courts again. The second day on the week in which he would be crucified. Only a day earlier, he had ridden into town on the back of a, a donkey to shouts of the people crying out, Hosanna, and blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, a recognition that God had sent this man, this Jesus who had come from Nazareth. And now here he is on the second day entering the courts. And with a violent intensity, he's quoting both Isaiah and Jeremiah and and bringing their words together and saying to the people with an intensity, is it not written that my house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations? But you've made it a den of robbers. In this simple declaration, my house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations. Jesus is revealing his vision for his church. And at the same time as he's revealing his vision for his church, he's challenging every one of us who wants to be a part of his church, every one of us who wants to be a part of his kingdom, to align our priorities with his priorities for his church. And even in that simple statement, we see two essential components that we'll touch on in a moment. Two essential components that should shape the purpose and the practice of any church. And if by any church, it means then also those who are part of the church. These two essential practices, Jesus says, his church will not only function, but will be known for. Has it not been said that my house shall be called? The word called says, look, this is, this is what people should come to expect when they think of the house of the Lord, these particular components. But at the same time, even as he is giving us, revealing to us his vision, he is also reminding us of how easy it is for us to drift and to slip away from the priorities that he himself has, no matter how clearly they have been presented, no matter how often we may have heard them, we can slide and slip away from them and are therefore in need of constantly realigning ourselves with what Jesus has for us. He says this when he says, written, my house shall be called a house of prayer, but you've made it into a den of robbers. Now, what is it particularly particularly that Jesus is opposing? Well, the obvious thing is that the, the practice of selling stuff in the in the temple courts. Now, it's easy to look at that and say, well, of course. And it's very easy for 
Christians and for churches to say, okay, we don't allow any commerce to take place on our grounds, or at least not on Sunday morning, or in the worship service, or whatever. And then figure that we have, you know, fulfilled this instruction. We've, we've learned from it, we, we've learned the lesson of their foolishness, and we avoid, uh, the, the commerce, and so therefore we're, we're good. But to, to embrace uh, that mindset kind of minimizes all that's going on here, all that Jesus is is confronting. Uh, the reality that causes us to slip away is, is the same for uh, that, that led to the practices that were going on in that day. Because one of the things that's often overlooked is that many of the things that were sold, at least the, probably the initial things that were being sold, were things that were necessary for the offering of the sacrifice, necessary for worship uh, in in that day. People came to the, the temple in order to offer the sacrifices to honor God and, and to, to worship God. And to offer sacrifices, you needed something to sacrifice. Uh, you came to offer their offerings, and they were to, to which was the, the giving of, of their tithes and the, their offerings. And it was, uh, and so these required particular uh, resources. And what was originally sold, and we talk about the, the money tables, the, the, the money exchange tables that uh, we, we read about, it just probably seemed like a, a convenient thing to do, a helpful thing to do, seeming innocent enough. I mean, having resources available for people to come and worship was particularly beneficial for those who were pilgrims coming a long distance to worship. They didn't have to carry all the stuff because everything you need, everything you need to worship, everything you need to offer the sacrifice could be obtained right there in the outer courts. Bible scholar Frederick Dale Bruner says this, In order to help worshipers, pagan coins were exchanged for temple-worthy equivalents. And the selling of the doves right there at the temple was a welcome convenience to the pilgrims. And so the practice of the selling things probably seemed like a good idea, seemed innocent, seemed perhaps even helpful. What seems to have happened is that the exchange of the coins and the selling of of, uh, of the sacrifices for the people there uh, began to uh, expand. And so rather than having a few convenient things, it began to look like a farmer's market uh, because people were coming and there's all sorts of things that people need. In fact, people need things, people want things, might as well provide it for them, and what better place than where people are going to, to gather. And whatever the original intent the problem is that the focus had shifted. The focus had shifted from the worship of God and perhaps innocently thinking, well, we'll provide the things that people need to, to worship God and to offer the sacrifice, things to just make it simpler and, and convenient. The focus shifted from honoring and, and worshiping God to commerce and consumer care, customer care. It became about... What do people want? What, what, how can we give them what they want? And then are, are we breaking even? Well, there's nothing wrong with making a profit because we'll reinvest that. And the whole focus of honoring and worshiping God took a back seat to the interest of those who were selling their goods. It took a back seat to religious ritual, to convenience, and to consumerism.
Again, it's, it's really easy to, to look at this passage and assume as long as we're not engaging in those practices that we're good. But here I do think, again, that Jesus is revealing how easy it is for us to drift, even those of us who want to be faithful. We've all experienced it. Whether you go down to the Outer Banks or somewhere else to go to the beach, you're standing shin deep in the ocean, looking out to sea. A little time passes and you turn around and everybody on the beach has moved. I mean, you haven't moved. Your feet have been firmly planted in the sand and the surf. And yet you turn around and people who were right behind you or right in front of you when you were there at first, now they're a hundred yards away. You see, we all recognize that even when you feel like you're standing firm, the, the currents shift the sand beneath your feet and move you down the beach. And the same thing is true for us in our spiritual lives and with our spiritual priorities. Many times we, we don't feel as if we have moved, but the currents of life over time, they shift our feet and they move us from our original orientation. And if we're not intentional, if we're not constantly reorienting ourselves to a, a set Focal point. We find that we have drifted. We've drifted from where we think we are. And the stronger the currents of life are, the faster and the further we are prone to drift. And Jesus in this passage is saying, look, these are the priorities. These are the priorities that will be true for the church, and if it's true for the church, it ought to be true for those who are part of the church. Now, you might be wondering, what are the priorities? And I intentionally omitted them at this point, till up to this point. Because I think we see two that are very clear here, that are essential for the church and for this church. It's not that they're absent. It's not that they're necessarily neglected. It's just that over the course of time, it'd be very easy to kind of assume them and to drift away from them, that while they are, as long as they're going on, as long as that they're within sight, we think that they're fine, but they are not defining us. They are not the priorities. They're not the focus of our lives and of our worship. And as we begin the new year, my hope is that we will look at this and it will shape us as we move ahead as a church and as Christians for uh, this coming year. So what are the priorities? Well, the first one we see here is we see the priority of prayer. My house shall be called a house of prayer. Now, I don't know about you, but it, it, it struck me. Of all the things that Jesus would say that should mark his church, of all the things that the church ought to be known for, it's interesting to me that prayer is the one that he lists here. Why not a community? A fellowship which I suppose could be kind of covered under the idea of the, the imagery of a house. My, my house shall be called in house as a family, and, and so those things, there's a, a connection there. But should be known it's a, as, for, as a house, of, house of, of prayer. Why not instruction? Well, that certainly is covered in the laws and 
that shape the, the worship of the temple, which then should shape the worship of the church as, as it exists today. But for whatever the reason, Jesus is not focusing on that. He's saying my house, not just he, but taking from God's vision as he's revealed it through Isaiah and through Jeremiah, my house shall be a house of prayer. And in this, Jesus is telling us that prayer is high on his priority list. Now, I can imagine for some of you, and, and, and maybe you're, you're like me, being, you hear this, okay, we should pray more. We all get that. We all understand that. We, we all know that. And, and sometimes when I'm reminded of that, if I'm not prepared for it, it just sounds like it's just one more chore that I'm supposed to do. It's one that I need to do, one that I know is good, one that I know is beneficial. There's, I know all of the positive things, but it just seems like one more thing that, that ought to be added. Or even when I'm reminded that I ought to make it more of a priority, it just is a reminder of what I, what I don't do, what I fail to do, what I need to do more of. And if that's your mindset now or at any time, I, I just want to remind you of this, that, that prayer is more than a chore. It is a requirement. We're called to prayer. Jesus is saying this is what I, my house is to be known as. And for the house to be known as that, then those who live in the house ought to be uh, people of, of prayer. But it's not just something God says, okay, you, you need to do this, do this every day, you know, like brushing your teeth. The call to prayer is a reflection of our relationship with God. A teacher named Alvin Vandergrind says this about prayer. Prayer is the conversational aspect of a loving relationship with God. Just as communication and, and, and conversation is essential to any healthy relationship, whether that's husband and wife, whether that's parent and child, whether that's friendship, communication, conversing, talking, sharing what's on your heart, sharing what's on your mind, coming with your lamentations, coming with your celebrations, sharing those things. They build the relationship. They also are a reflection of the relationship because you only share with those that you are in a relationship with. And so when we think of this invitation to prayer, we don't need to think of it as just another chore that I'm here scolding you or confessing to you that we need to do better in prayer. That's not the intent, whether that's true or not. That's not really what I'm aiming for. I want you to hear in Jesus' words, my house should be a house of prayer, that we ought to be praying. But it's an invitation for us to relish the relationship that we have with God. God of the universe, the one who created everything, wants to talk to you. He wants to hear from you. That's an incredibly amazing thing. Over the holidays, I noticed, I'm not quite sure why, but I noticed that... Uh, Wizard of Oz was on quite a bit. I'm not sure how that has anything to do with Christmas, but it was just one of the things that I noticed Wizard of Oz was on. Now, most of you have seen, I can't imagine anybody who hasn't seen The, the Wizard of Oz, and, and you know the premise of it. And, and, and as they uh, get to uh, Oz, they, they're seeking an audience with the wizard, the one who seems to be in control and is, is running all things. Because the hope is that if they get the audience, then they can share their request. And if they share the request, he might grant their request. And, and the disappointment, at least initially, is not uh, that um, that they, they got the audience, but 
that it took time for things to happen, but they at least were satisfied that they got that audience and, and eventually got their request. And thinking about that in terms of God saying, my house should be called a, prayer, a house of prayer, and that we are, are called to pray. It, the fact is God does run everything, and, and there would be no disappointment if God said, okay, house of prayer, you can come and you can talk to me, you can lay your request out, and, and we'd have even less reason to be disappointed when we see how God provides for all of our needs, and even more than our needs, he provides for all of the things that bring us joy in our lives. That itself is an amazing thing. But what's even more amazing is that's not the extent of the relationship that God wants. He's not just somebody who's behind a screen, but he's real as opposed to the wizard. He wants the relationship. He wants the conversing. And in particular, when we think of prayer and the conversational aspect and the relationship that we have as reflected in prayer, it's also important that we recognize that prayer is a reflection of our relating to God as our Father. Listen to what J.I. Packer has to say. Prayer is a confessing of impotence and need an acknowledgement of helplessness and dependency, and an invoking of the mighty power of God to do for us what we cannot do for ourselves. In other words, when we are praying to God, we are coming to him as children. We are coming to him and trusting him and his invitation because he has revealed himself to be our father. So Jesus is saying, look, fundamental thing that is part of the church, the church should be known as a house of prayer, which means the people who are part of the church should be a people of prayer because we are conversing and relating and depending upon God, who delights in the prayers of his children. And so my hope is that during the course of this year, we will encourage one another to deepen and increase our prayer lives. And that will be evident in the life of the church, whether it is in our times of congregational prayer through the prayer list and reestablishing the prayer teams that pray during our worship services, the different aspects of the prayer life that that would mark significantly the life of this church and the people who are part. While prayer is good, Jesus indicates that there is a particular aspect of prayer that we need to give attention to. It's expected to be a part of our prayer. And so on the first priority, we see evidence in Jesus' vision here. My house should be called a house of prayer for all nations. The second mark that is important for us is to recognize we see the priority of mission. See, Jesus says, my house should be a house of prayer for all nations. And in the Greek, the word there is uh, ethnosin, or, you know, it's a... It's a word we get from ethnicities. It's, it's a reflection of the fact that God has a heart for all peoples. It's, it's a reminder of the way things are supposed to be, the way that God has designed things to be. Even from the beginning, we see that as God entered into a relationship to create a people, Israel, people of his own, and the covenant that he made. I'm getting signals to land the plane. What is it that I'm supposed to be doing here? 
Oh, that was not part of, it wasn't, it was unofficial. Okay. Then maybe you want me to land the plane too. But anyway, this is, uh, when God establishes people, he called a man from uh, paganism, and, and a man named Abram. He said, I'm going to bless you, and I'm going to bless the world through you. I'm going to make you great. I'm going to make a great nation that's going to come from you. And through that nation, I'm going to bless all of the nations of the earth. Now, ultimately, it was because Jesus Christ would come through that line. The promised Messiah. The one who would give his life as an atonement for the sin that all of us are guilty of. That's the ultimate. But also the people were to be a blessing to the other nations so that uh, as they related to God, as they uh, uh, as they were obedient to God, the other nations would become jealous of seeing the, their relationship with the living and true God as opposed to the gods that they made up of their own and saying, you know, our gods are impotent as compared to the, the real God, the God of gods. And then people from every tribe and tongue and nation would then join and want to become part of the family that the living and true God has created. That is embedded in the, in the, in the, in the covenant that was made uh, that we are uh, the beneficiaries of. And the Great Commission, as Jesus would express it uh, uh, later on after his resurrection, is just a reaffirmation of the way things were supposed to be to begin with. God created the people to be a blessing to the world, and part of the way of being a blessing to the world is to share the hope of what God has done and what God has promised in the person of Jesus Christ, so that people would become part of that. People from every tribe, every tongue, every religion, they would come and they would trust in Jesus Christ. And the Lord is saying, my house should be called a house of prayer for all nations. You see, by the time that Jesus had come along, the temple had become a, a nationalistic symbol uh, that served only to divide Israel from the people that Israel was created to bless. House of prayer idea for house of prayer for all nations shows us that God did not intend for his house to be a national shrine. He did not intend for his church to be a fortress to protect us from the world. He intends for his house to be a house of prayer for the peoples of the world. Listen to what scholar William Lane says. The use of the forecourt, which is the, the outer area of the temple, was an open, as an open market, effectually prevented the one area of the temple which was available to the Gentiles from becoming a place of prayer. And by expelling them from the front court, the forecourt, uh, Jesus freed the place where Gentiles were allowed to worship. In other words, whatever their intentions were in the selling and the marketing, they were occupying the space that the nations were able to go to to get some connection with God until they conversion and becoming a part of the household of God. They occupied the place. There was, and then it said, basically, you're not welcome and there's no room for you. And it shows that the attitude is that the people of God are so prone to begin thinking of us and us against them as opposed to us as God's gift for them. And that attitude was shown both in their daily practices and certainly in their neglect of prayer. God's house is a house of prayer for all nations is a reminder to us 
that people from every nation, every ethnicity, every background should be welcome in the house of God. It also should be a place where the people of every nation are prayed for and cared about. The reality is most of us are the beneficiaries of this in the first place. You might not tend to think of it because we're so American-centric. Our job is to send missionaries out to the nations. But, you know, when Jesus was making this statement, our ancestors, most of them, were the people that were part of the nations. Unless you are here and you have a Jewish heritage, which I suspect is very few, you are the nations that were in need and to be blessed. And, and that understanding really kind of shapes the way that we view things. We have now become the beneficiary, so who are we then to neglect the others who are still in need of experiencing uh, the blessings that God has created his church to bless. There's two implications here that I think that we need to consider. First, if we're going to be a house of prayer for all nations, it's important that we have some uh, appreciation and understanding of what the Great Commission is and being aware of what God is doing in the world. I mean, it's one thing to be busy, 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 and, and just going about business, but it's another thing to being aware of what still needs to be done. If you send your kids to clean their room and they just kind of have the one section that's already cleaned up and they continue to go back to that one section that's cleaned up and they just never deal with the stuff that needs to get done, they may be very, very, very busy, but they're not actually accomplishing what you were sent them to do. They meant... All of it is to be clean, not just be busy, but actually accomplish something. And the Great Commission is something that every person who is part of the body of Christ is enlisted to participate in. Whether you are called to go, and some of you may be called to go on the mission field, and we continue to pray that the Lord would continue to raise up people from this church. If you're not called to go, you are called to another aspect. It's not just a matter of in the Great Commission, well, I don't feel called to be a missionary, so I will... You know, just go about my life and periodically send some money. We're all part of it. Just as NASA had those who went into space and other people who made sure they got there and other people still who made sure they got back, the missionaries, uh, the mission endeavor that God has enlisted his, his people to be engaged in, some are going to be goers, others are going to be senders. And still others are going to be mobilizers, people who are out and recruiting and, and making sure that people are able to get out onto the mission field. But even as a sender, there's different ways uh, of participating. It's not just a matter of writing a check, though that's important. It's also the prayer support for the missionary. It's also covering the people that these missionaries are going to and praying that their hearts would be transformed and that they would be receptive to the seed of the gospel that the missionaries are bringing to them. And so we need to be aware of what God is doing in the world, where there is still need for the gospel to be uh, taken, and we need to be committing ourselves to deepening our understanding and appreciation of the Great Commission. But even more particular to this passage this morning is that we are to be praying for the nations. A regular part of our prayer is to be for the peoples who have yet to hear. It's for the people who have heard and who are this day worshiping, but could at any moment be broken into by government officials who will arrest them or kill them because they are worshiping 
the living and true God. It's to be praying for the people of all nations. Prayer is part of our mission. Prayer is an important part of our mission. Again, listen to what Packer says. There are two sides of the evangelistic commission. It is a commission not only to preach, but also to pray, not only to talk to men about God, but to talk to God about men. You see, only God is able to change the hearts of the people. Only God is able to open the doors. Only God is able to transcend walls that are guarded by military power, and nothing is able to stop God. And you and I, or me, whatever the proper English is, called to be participants in our prayers for the peoples of all nations. These two components, I hope, will be priorities for us. I know this is New Year's Day, and I'm not trying to give you new resolutions, because I know resolutions statistically will be broken by Thursday. Um, at least 80% of them are. But it is a day that many of us decide, if it's not a resolution, but it's a renewal. You know, things kind of get out of whack during the holidays. I need to get back into, you know, better eating, whether it's, you know, just, I got to refocus. I got to get back into a better routine. And it's not the same as a resolution. A resolution, they broke it. It's like, ah, uh, you know, wait again until next year. But a renewal is a matter of, look, I need to reset my priorities. I need to refocus what it is that I am doing and how I am doing these things. And you're going to stumble. And when you stumble, you just say, all right, well, bad day. I'm going to pick up again tomorrow, and I'm going to participate again. I hope and pray that these components, these these things, would be increasingly true of us as a church and us as a people uh, during 2023, that they would become so embedded in the way that we live our lives and the way that we live our lives together uh, that we would see significant and measurable growth in those these areas over the course of this year. Now, some things we're going to do is we'll continue to focus on the importance of prayer and give you resources and encourage you and try to build towards strengthening our church to be a house of prayer. We'll give information uh, uh, about that as as uh, uh, as uh, the year unfolds, as we have opportunity. We're also going to continue to make known to you what God is doing around the world, giving to you and providing different resources for you so that you can see what God is doing and you can be reminded of what still needs to be done and to encourage and to prepare you and equip you to pray. And it's important that we do commit to these things. Because I'll give J.I. Packer, I've given him a lot of words, so I'll give him the final word for the day. Because he says this, it's, it is God's way regularly to withhold his blessing until his people start to pray. And the reason for that is God's house is to be a house of prayer for all nations. May that be true of Grace Covenant. May that be true for you and me. Father, we give thanks to you for this word. And pray that while many of us may be pricked with conviction, that we would not be uh, discouraged or distraught regardless of the status, the state of our prayer lives and our knowledge of the Great Commission but we would recognize that you are inviting us into something that we cannot accomplish. You're inviting us to rest in you, to trust in you, to see you at work, 
not only in our lives, but in the lives of people that we may not meet in this lifetime. And to stand in awe as we see you at work. Father, encourage us with these words. May they set a path for us, even as they remind us of how easy it is for us to stray, to shift. Lord, let us continually be a people who set our focal point upon you, our Lord, and live our lives in line with your priorities. To be to you be all praise and glory, not only in the church, but throughout the world. We pray in Christ.